Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the promotions or audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com/writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business: editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author JD Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writers Inc. All right, Zach is back. We didn't scare him away. He's back for a second monthly episode. What's up, fellas? How you doing, man? What's up? Back by popular demand, apparently. There were a lot of comments. I missed you, Zach. <laughs> so here I am again. Yeah, we're excited. We're back here for episode number 59. Uh, it's funny, JD and I just kind of completely blew past the one-year anniversary. <laughs> Neither of us even recognized it. No. Yeah, I didn't even, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, apparently when, we're- When was yeah. that? <laughs> We're pretty well, well, well past it at this point. But anyways, episode 59. Uh, this is uh, an episode that Zach and I have done on The Career Author the past few years. It's a, a 2020 review in State of the Industry and kind of looking ahead at 2021. So I think it's going to be an interesting conversation because 2020 has been so boring. We just don't have a lot to talk <laughs> about. Uh, but 2021 will definitely be exciting. I'm just glad this year is behind us, and I'm I'm really hoping next year is going to be better. But on, honestly, I don't know that it's going to be. Um, like I just got off the phone with my sister. She she runs a hospital down in Florida. She finally got her her COVID shot. Um, you know, because they're rolling that out to, to people, you know, in, in her profession early. Um, but it's you know from what she's telling me, like it's going to be six months, nine months before like that actually hits general population, yeah. and, and a lot of that is really up in the air because so many people don't want to get it. You know, some of these side effects that she was just mentioning to me, that's going to scare a lot of people. Um, you know, they're, and a lot of people I think are going to sit back and, and be like, well, you know, if enough of my neighbors get it, I probably don't need to. And, um, it, it sounds like there's an age cap on it too. Like it's basically 18 and over. Um, so they're not, they're not even going to vaccinate younger kids and that may change as other vaccines come out. Um, but this isn't, you know, it, it, you watch a movie like outbreak and like, you know, they knock this out in 12 minutes and <laughs> this is going to be a like, crazy process. Um, at the same time though, like if you get a chance and this has absolutely nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about, but <laughs> re read how FedEx and UPS are distributing this because it, it yeah. is amazing the the system that they've got in place to, to get this out all, all across the country. And like, we are so fortunate to live in a place where we even have that kind of structure of, available, but it, it, it's fascinating. I mean, just the fact that it's got to be kept at, at negative 94 degrees is, is such a challenge and you know like it, it's amazing to see how they're, they're doing this 
Yeah, I can't get ice cream home in the summertime, so I. <laughs> yeah. Don't know how to do yeah, exactly. Like I've got one of those thermal bags in my car for when I run out to work. get pizza, and it, it's like it's still the temperature's all funky by the time we get home. Yeah, that's fifteen <laughs> minutes. You know, I, I I don't get it. Well, that'll definitely yeah, be something to look at for twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Like, uh, yeah, just just to see where things go and. Um, you know, I just hope people are smart and they don't, you know, just like you were saying, Jay, just cause we're getting the vac, like the vaccines coming out doesn't mean that like everything, like everything's just going to go back to normal immediately, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, so I'm ready to get 2020 behind us. Unfortunately though, the, I don't think the coronavirus is going to look at the calendar and just peace out on January 1st. <laughs> doesn't really care. Which is like, I, I keep hearing people say, I'm sorry for 2021. I'm just ready for coronavirus to be over. I'm like, it's not going to just peace out when it turns January 1st. So, but hopefully, you know, the vaccine will be a next big step to get us down, you know, uh, hopefully back to some sort of normalcy at some point. So I honestly, I think what you're going to see next are, are people walking around with stickers to say, I got vaccinated yeah. and, and, and no mask on and other people with a mask on mad that these people don't have a mask on. And I think we're going to see another whole crazy storm of, of that, you know, like as, as these things roll out and people try to figure out how to deal with it. Um, yeah. And I just saw, I just saw a lawsuit out of California where two strip clubs sued to stay open <laughs> and somehow won. And, you know, so many thoughts were going through my head. Like, first of all, who's going to a strip club and <laughs> all this? But, you know, what does that mean for the rest? Because if that happens in California they're, and they're able to stay open, that means all these restaurants are able to you know, basically reopen. And the, the orders that are coming down from the government are, are, are more, more or less meaningless. Um, and I'm kind of watching this just from a, a real estate standpoint because I've got a lot of tenants. I've got a building where I'm, I'm floating eight tenants right now. They're not paying rent and I'm covering utilities for five of them. Um, you know, so that's that's a whole other dynamic. And, you know, they're basically being told they can't be evicted and I'm not going to evict anybody. I, I'm doing what I can to keep them keep them there until this all blows over. But, you know, there's plenty of landlords out there that are ready to pull that trigger, too. Um, so this this is going to get really messy before it gets gets better. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think. 2021 is just going to magically crystallize into something, you know, stable. I it's it's probably going to be more of a transitional year, but that'll that'll be uh we'll come back, we'll circle back to that towards the end cuz we're going to take a look ahead at at 2021. But uh speaking of later in 2021, uh just a reminder we do have tickets available for the Career Author Summit and that's in September of 2021. And that is also available as an in-person or virtual ticket. So head on over to thecareerauthor.com slash event if you want to find out more about that. All right. So uh, how do we want to start with 2020? How do we want to uh, <laughs> how do we want to do a review? I mean, do we? I mean, typically Zach and I have uh, talked about sort of the industry and and sort of what it's meant for our writing businesses and careers, but um, th there's nothing typical about 2020. So. I don't know how you guys want to start this conversation. Yeah, it's just, it's, I'll tell you what's weird about it is just how normal it started out. Like, I mean, you remember, Jay, we were in, you know, in January, we went to California <laughs> and, on did, a train. and did authors on a train. Yeah. And, you know, and, and no, no one, I, I think while we were there, like, uh, the, the virus might have come up like one or two time for some people there, but we weren't thinking that it was going to nothing like this was going to happen. No, I mean, it was still heavily concentrated in China at that point. I, I don't even know if there were any documented cases stateside. It, no, that, I don't it think. It was like no, the first week of January. So it was, we there. it was very, very um, just in the back of it. Like I don't barely in the back of anyone's minds. I'd say even, um, you know, we were just there. We were, um, 
we you know we announced uh, our witches of salem retreat there everyone was excited about that we were had planned on doing that. you know like there was there's a lot of different things and everything just kind of you know we were getting ready for the career author summit here in nashville and um it, it just it's just crazy how everything how everything kind of turned um but uh like i don't know like how do you guys like how do you guys feel though like let's talk about like we obviously know how much it's affected so many different businesses and we obviously look at restaurants um you know you look at movie theaters you know and and all these all these businesses were really turned upside down but like you know how do you guys generally feel it really affected books because i think we were you know we're in a fortunate place where you know people uh especially because uh, I, I know at least with me and Jay being primarily indie J- JD, you might be a little, I'm not sure if you're different, but like we primarily depend on digital sales and, you know, specifically, you know, eBooks and audiobooks, and people still had access to buy our books and our products and stuff, you know? And um, so it, it didn't feel like for me, you know, I, I did not see a very huge impact on my sales from that aspect because I wasn't depending on people to have to go into a bookstore or whatever and buy stuff. So um, I, I don't know, like what, I guess my overall question is like, how how do we feel it really impacted our industry or did or, or not? <laughs> you know, I guess it's kind of, it's like, kind of an- Well, JD, o- I'll let you go first. So I, I'm gonna tie back into something that Zach mentioned earlier. Sure, so for, for me personally, I, I, I honestly got really lucky because I, I released um, She Has a Broken Thing Where Her Heart Should Be in March. Um, but, you know, I, I indie published that in the, the English speaking territories. Um, you know, so I, I was geared up for a release very similar to probably what you do. I mean, the bulk of my revenue comes from the ebook sales. So, you know, I was pushing Facebook ads, Amazon ads, and pre-orders and, and things along those lines. Uh, it, it was obviously available in, in bookstores, um, but, you know, that, that's never been a focus, you know, on, on my indie titles because the profit margin just isn't there. I mean, it's I, I make a little bit, but, like, I make more off an ebook than I do off a hardcover or a paperback, you know, so it's more of a convenience thing. I put those things out there for the people that want them, but, you know, the bulk of my my efforts go towards the the ebook side. Um, that being said, I was fielding phone calls left and right from friends of mine that got caught up in this, who are you know 100% with traditional publishers and had books coming out and had book tours you know all across the country, some across the world that were scheduled, and these dates just started getting pulled one after the next after the next. And you know, hey, my book is coming out in two weeks, and now I'm not going on a book tour. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, they're they're think they're talking about lining up some some podcasts and maybe some blog reviews and things like. Like that but you know so like the traditional publishers i think got really caught and got blindsided by by this because this is not their world you know they, they focus on you know getting magazine and you know articles and newspaper you know reviews and things along those lines to drive people to go to the bookstore to to get an author signed copy and see the author talk and so when those tours got canceled that really pulled the rug out from underneath them um that being said they've they've scrambled and and you know, they're, they're basically, you know, they're pulling from the indie book right now. They're, they're focusing very heavily on the things that we've been doing for years and, and they're building that into their, their current business model. Um, these are all things we've talked about, all things that probably would have happened, but I think it would have been spaced out over five or 10 years. And now all of a sudden it happened over the course of, you know, nine months. 
and it's it's part of their game plan you know moving forward they're they're part of you know there there are competition now on facebook ads and amazon ads and everything else and and they're going to be there and you know the, the more they they get used to it the better they get at it um you know the the bigger that that is going to become you know as, as far as uh you know not necessarily a roadblock for us but we're going to be paying more um for a lot of those ads just because they're they're in that playing field now yeah th- that's a good point jd and i think too that independent authors haven't felt the brunt of the pandemic yet because I don't feel as though the traditional publishers have all gotten up to that place where, where they're now competing with us in those practices that you just mentioned. I feel like there's going to be a delay where I think maybe next year, the indie publishers, the, the self publishers are going to feel it more when they're starting to get priced out of uh, pay-per-click advertising and they're starting to get boxed out of book bubs and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I think to Zach's point too, uh, the the writing and publishing specifically for indies, I don't think it was it was affected the way some of the ancillary industries and professionals were. Like I think there was a lot of of, of shakeup and and um, and discontent with people serving the self publishing or independent publishing industry, but the books themselves didn't seem to be that much affected. I mean, uh, Zach and I. We don't we don't know how, what this would have done without the pandemic, but we launched three story method in the beginning of March, and that was uh, a single nonfiction title, uh, and that was by far our most successful self published co authored title of anything we've ever done. Like it made more money than anything else we did, and we launched that in the beginning of the pandemic at a time where you would think people would not be really concerned about a craft book, uh, and yet it did extremely well. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's going to be, I, I feel like the, the the other shoe still has to drop for, for indies and it's going to come where JD's talking about, which is now competing with, with TradPub in some of the spaces where they hadn't been before. Well, do you think a craft book, do you think it's selling right now because a lot of people are at home and that, you know, they've always wanted to write that novel and all of a sudden they're finding that they've got the time to do it? Well, I think later in the year, so when we got into June and July, our sales were were pretty steady. I mean, we were... We, we were keeping a rank in the Kindle store at one point, what, like 15, 20,000, Zach, something like that. And, yeah. and we, were, we were holding that for a, a pretty long time. And I think that, it was, that was when people were like, okay, now what am I going to do? I'm not, go, I'm not commuting anymore. I can't leave my house. But in March, March, it was still kind of like a panic mode. So the fact that we launched that book and it did well in the beginning, it w- kind of surprised me. Yeah, I, I think it could have had some ancillary effect, though, because, I mean, you know, that's when, you know, March and April is really when the national wide shutdown was going on and yeah. stuff. And, um, you know, I know at least here where I live, like, you know, by the time June, July rolled around, I mean, it's been more people have been outside and stuff and, and going out and doing more in, for better, or for worse. Yeah, I was I know say, that, not necessarily a good. Thing, I'm not no. saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it, it's, it's just the way it's, it's not like everywhere people are just like shut in, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of places that didn't follow that stuff. So, um, well, you to, know, to put it in perspective, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at my author's note in caller's game and I, I wrote it on March 25th. Um, and, and I wrote, as of this morning, 54,968 people have coronavirus in the U.S. and 435,374 worldwide. You know, wow. so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I think, too, from a personal standpoint, um, uh, you know, 
something obviously like the the biggest impact that Jay and I specifically saw personally was, you know, the, our events events. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and since we start, since we both went full time in 2017, I mean, there's been several times, you know, we've gotten, uh, notes from Joanna who is always pegging on us, like have multiple sources of income, have multiple revenues of income, you know, and I think this shined a line on that more than ever. And I mean, Jay, I mean, I know you can definitely speak on this because you've, uh, I know that you changed a lot after this and uh, whole thing. And you already had a lot of different revenue streams and had your hands in different things. But like, I think this just shined a light on that even more and just how important that is. And being able to adapt, you know, all the stuff we went through with the summit and having to move that virtually, you know, and, and, and with the, with the potential lawsuit on, on with us, with these hotels and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's really shined a light on that more than anything that you can't just, you know, I'm not going to say not everyone, but like most people who are trying to do this stuff full time, you can't necessarily just depend on one source of income. No, I mean, it's the same strategy that JD has with his, with your international rights. You exactly. know, like you, you have to diversify. You have, uh, you have self-publishing in some places, you're selling rights to, to publishers in other places. I think the same is true if you're serving the industry. So, you know, Zach and I doing retreats and workshops and that kind of stuff, you got to repurpose content. You know, you got to, you write a blog post, it could become a podcast episode, it could be a, a newsletter blast, uh, and, and you can, you can use that strategy in fiction as well. You know, there, there are different ways you, you can create one story and then you can, you can generate revenue from that one story in multiple ways. And the, you know, the most simplest one that we look at as independent publishers is like, okay, ebook, paperback, hardback, and audio. Um, but there's a whole lot more to that. So I, I think it is important and more so now than ever. And I think that the sort of the, the nine to five cubicle people who were, who thought they had a lot of security with a, a W-2 salary job found out this year it's not as secure as they thought. And, uh, and I think everyone should be looking at multiple revenue streams and, and different ways of um, earning a living. Well, in, in general, I mean, it goes beyond publishing too. I mean, like I'm, I'm personally involved in real estate and the stock market and, you know, we take a certain percentage of every check that comes in and it gets divided up into to various accounts to try and spread that out and diversify as, as much as possible. So not just the publishing revenue streams, but just revenue streams in, in general. Yeah. So here's another kind of like, we know, you know, we've been hearing for years and maybe this also kind of transitions into where do we see things heading in 2021, but it's just, I'm something I've just thought about a minute ago. I'm curious about, but you know, one thing and Jay, I think this has come up like the last couple of years when we did what's in 2021. I think that one thing we always talk about is like, is this going to be the year that Barnes and Noble goes away? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so more than anything this year, I mean, look, everything that happened, like, where do we see bookstores going in the future? Like, I mean, especially as a whole and as like the, the major retailers like Barnes and Noble or stuff, like, I don't think that, you know, indie bookstores are going to go away. And, you know, uh, as a whole, I mean, some of them might be lost during this whole thing, but I, I think that indie bookstores will be out there, but just like bookstores in general, like, what do we think about that? Like where that's headed? 
I, I think the stores that are still hanging on right now through all of this, they're, they're not going anywhere. They figured yeah. out how to get their feet firmly planted in the ground and, and to survive no matter what. Um, Barnes & Noble is going to be a very interesting thing. I mean, we've got this hedge fund that, that stepped in. They're completely re- revamping the entire business model. Uh, they came out in a the Wall Street Journal article a couple weeks ago or a week ago, whenever that was, um, and basically said they're doing away with their, their current structure, which is essentially you know charging the big publishers for placement in the store. Um, you know, they're no longer going to be paying for that, you know, new release table, or they may be, but in some lesser level, but the stores are going to try and create a, a local focus. Um, they're basically, they're looking at these independent stores that have survived through all this, and somebody created a bullet list. They survived because they did this, the personal touch, they've got this, they've got that. We need to figure out how to incorporate that into Barnes & Noble. So that that's essentially where they're at right now, and that's what they did with Waterstones in the, in the UK. So, you know, they've already got a, a, a roadmap that's worked, that's that they're they're following. I think the biggest hurdle Barnes and Noble is going to have here in the states is the size of the stores, um, because that real estate is ridiculously expensive to pay for. Um, you know the fact that it's got a coffee shop, it's got games, it's got this. It's it, it's become so much more than just a bookstore that that's detrimental at this point. Um, so I'm not quite sure how they they handle that because I I think they can definitely survive by going to this localized feel and and you know store you know type type deal you know following the model of the indies. Um, but I don't know that they can pay for you know two-story three-story bookstores anymore you know based on that i don't think they can afford to have people that come in there and buy a cup of coffee and take a book off the shelf and read it for an hour and then leave without buying anything which is a huge problem for them um i i don't see that going away unless they do away with the coffee shop so there's a lot of little things that are, are going to have to change too um and a lot of barnes and noble stores have closed you know so it's going to be interesting to see you know I, I think at this point the ones that are still open are probably going to be the ones that they focus on um but, you know, a year from now, who knows what we're going to be looking at. I think retail in general is in trouble. I mean, I, I don't want to be pessimistic about it, but like if you take a look at what's happened over the past seven to nine months, we've all we've all been uh, we've all been uh, addicted to the to the, the prime two day shipping <laughs> phenomenon. Right. Like, I mean, you, you can you can hear people say, oh, shop local, support local. But like, what do we all do? The first thing we need something like we pull it up on Amazon and we have it sent to our house. And, and I think we've been doing that now and, and that's a new habit and it's not going to be an easy one to break. So I, I really don't know what retail is going to look like next year and beyond. It's, it's, I think it goes beyond bookstores, but it, it really is a, it's an important question because as, as you said, JD, that there's a lot of money at stake um, in, in real estate and, and commercial uh, rental properties and cities like New York and Chicago and LA, like, you know, those are, they're paying thousands of dollars per square foot. And I don't know if they're going to be able to justify um, that expense if if the online ordering sort of becomes the new de facto retail method. Well, I think one of the things that you're going to see shift there, and, and I'm part of the problem because I think I placed three Amazon orders just today. <laughs> you know, like I wanted to get a jump rope for my daughter for Christmas and it took me all the three minutes to buy it on there versus hopping in my car and trying to trudge through exactly. the snow to get to the store. And yeah, so that convenience factor is huge. Um, but one of the things that they're looking at very closely right now is, you know, Amazon has negotiated some insane deals with the shippers. Um, you know, like when they use U.S. Postal Service, it actually costs the U.S. Postal Service money to to get a package to your front door that, that and 
end mile that they they call it um that could go away you know that's that's a government contract that amazon has that basically is is allowing them to be able to ship these things so cheap if somebody pulls the rug out from under them on that front all of a sudden walmart is a competitor again you know your local stores you know may have the same thing available to you at a cheaper price because you're not paying for shipping you know amazon might have to you know bottle a conditioner they might have to tack three dollars onto that to get it to you where you can buy it at you know the local store um that might level that playing field um, and that might be a necessary step in order to keep some of these mom and pop stores alive. Um, that being said, it's evolution, you know, in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's the strong eating the weak. I, you know, I, I hate to see local businesses go out of business, but, you know, it, it's been that way from the beginning of, of commerce. Yeah, I think those local businesses at the same time, they can't wait for these changes to happen. They need to find some way to survive and fun, some, find some way to, to one up these, these big guys that are encroaching on their territory. Yeah, a lot of restaurants aren't coming back. Yeah, I mean, there are some very dire, dire statistics on re- not predictions, statistics on restaurants that have already closed for good. Uh, the, the restaurant industry, it's going to be years before it recovers, if ever. The uh, uh, I want to come back to a couple of things we said. Um, uh, for, for one, I'll just throw this out there because it's interesting. Um, you were talking about Amazon with the shipping companies and stuff. I actually, so I used to work in shipping for a big music instrument retail or a distributor company that makes drums and stuff. And I talked to, a, I was talking to our FedEx rep. He was a FedEx executive one day. And he told me that Amazon actually had a meeting with the head people at FedEx and tried to buy them at one point. They were like, we want to buy FedEx. And then they were like, we're not selling you. Like, well, then we're just going to go start our own shipping company. And just like, and they were like, but you'd have to like have an international airport and all this stuff. And they were like, it's so like, and, and you see when Amazon delivers, they have their own trucks and stuff. They could move to where they just, they just have their own FedEx or UPS and just do everything on their own. I mean, I could totally see something like that happening. Um, But the main thing I want to come back to is something, you know, I think a big hurdle too for the Barnes and Nobles, I think that's great that they want to um, potentially make their stores feel more local. I think where the big difference is, is like, is, is the type of P uh, to me when like, so when I walk in, we have a lot of really great record stores here in, uh, in, in Nashville. So like there's one called Grimey's, um, which actually has remained open. They actually got a ton of money from Taylor Swift to stay open, um, which, Hey, she's not going to go to Best Buy and give them millions of dollars to keep their CDs on the shelves, but she'll go to this really cool local store. Um, but, uh, you know, when you go to a place like that, you feel like, it's kind of a bad example because that place is like really hipster and I probably wouldn't go in there and talk to them about music, but like you feel like you could talk to them and get really good information as opposed to like, if you walk into a Barnes and Noble, the employees a lot of times are just like minimal wage employees who are just kind of there stocking shelves. And like, it's hard to find someone that you feel like you could have a thoughtful conversation with on books, which you will get at a local shop, you know? So I think that's another big hurdle as well. Like they can put local books and stuff on the table all they want, but if you don't have employees in there, passionately recommending that stuff and like striking up these conversations with patrons are in there and there. I think that that's going to be a really big hurdle as well. Um, so, yeah. so I, I could totally see that being thing, something as well. So. Yeah. Jay and I talked about that. Like I go into river run all the time and, and Tom, the owner yeah. there, you know, like I walk through the door and he's got three books in his hand, you know, that he knows I'll like, you know, that just, that, that, that is an impossible thing to duplicate because Barnes and Noble isn't going to be able to afford to hire those kind of people. You know, you're not going to get them at minimum wage. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's and a very when, valid point. 
And when you walk into a bookstore too, a local bookstore, you don't have to walk around with the knickknacks and toys and stuff like you brought up. Like I remember last time I went to Barnes and Noble, it was insane. And I understand why they do it because that stuff has a high profit margin. Yeah, that's the markup. It's not the books. I get it. Like, yeah. you know, but it's just like, holy crap, I just want to look for a damn book. <laughs> <laughs> so um well like I don't know, let's go ahead and talk about kind of where we see things moving in the in the future. And um, you know, I'm gonna Jay, I know like every year we always talk about, you know, mailing lists are dead and all this kind of stuff like that, which I think is proven now more than ever. Like that's not going away. But, you know, obviously we have a lot of weird things. There's some, there's stuff going on, you know, in our industry right now with audiobooks, all this other kind of stuff. Like, um, and obviously we see, we, we kind of mentioned earlier where we see uh, the, uh, the industry going as far as like the traditional publishers catching up. And JD, you've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about ads and Facebook ads and stuff. And I have my own obvious personal opinions about social media and what the future of that looks like. Um, and, and even you brought up, I think it was one of the last couple of weeks about, you know, the big changes Facebook is being forced the, or I guess it was the thing with Apple where they were like turning off ads for people on Facebook and stuff like that. And um, so I don't know, there's a lot of different stuff we could cover here. Um, but I'm just, anyone have any thoughts about like any like big predictions or places we could see the industry heading in the next year or so? Well, I, I think w- what you had just mentioned, that's still playing out and, you know, I think it's going to play out very quickly, but a- Apple and the new iOS is rolling out a, an opt-in function. So you can yeah. basically opt in to whether or not you want to allow Facebook to know what your interests are, which allows them to send you targeted advertising. Um, for me as a consumer, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I would much rather see an ad and, you know, for something that I'm actually interested in than, you know, some kind of random ad. I mean, if you think back to old television commercials that used to run on, you know, the network, you know, they, they were basically just throwing these things out there to the masses um, but now they can you know like I, I'm talking to Hulu right now about advertising I, I can target market advertisements for a book you know directly to you know certain types of shows or even certain people or even certain regions or you know geographically and things like that so I think that's definitely evolving um, but you know the yeah Facebook ads could technically go away over the next you know month or so which is going to cause a lot of people to, to have to scramble um, a lot of the stuff that Joanna's been talking about as far as audiobooks, you know, that that's a, a game changer, too. I mean, I, 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 it's funny because I just watched an ad on YouTube um, or a review for a snowblower because we've got like two feet of snow outside and, and I'm listening to it and I'm like, this is like a robot or an automated voice or something, an AI that's actually reading this ad to me. So like, you know, what it looks like what they did is they just rolled out this YouTube video and the, the language is somehow being customized based on where you're watching it. Um, you know, that's very telling. And I, I know a lot of the, you know, like I use the news app on, on my phone all the time. Uh, a lot of those stories now can be read to you by AI. Um, so it's, it's going to be very soon, I think, where we're going to see audiobooks read to us um, in, in, in a, a voice or a dialect that actually resonates which, with us, which is something Joanna brought up, too, that I never thought about before. But here in the U.S., we more or less expect a U.S. accent. Um, in the UK, you know, they, they want a UK accent, you know, like we kind of all gravitate towards what's familiar to us. And I think what we're going to see over time, and it's going to be a very short amount of time, is the ability to change that. We're going to be able to load up an audiobook, and we're going to be able to pick whether we want a male or female narrator, where, where we want that person to be from. Um, and that's that's obviously going to gonna impact the cost. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. That's such a weird thing, too, because I feel like that actually impacts the creator as well. Like I, I, I pick audiobook narrators when I publish my own stuff based on certain aspects of my book, you know, and like, 
if it's a male character with who I presume to be like, if you, whether they're a certain race or culture or whatever, like I think about that stuff. And like the idea that a, like, I, I just think I'm all about like people having choices and being able to customize things. But I don't know if I, I don't know. It just seems weird to me if I had like an African-American male protagonist that somebody could get my audiobook and then make it like a white chick <laughs> talking or something <laughs> like that just seems like, I don't know if that's a choice that like I want listeners being able to make, you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. I, I don't want to hear Neil Gaiman read by uh, a French woman. Like, yeah, uh, you know, like that, uh, that impacts the storytelling for me. Yeah. Well, I, I think what's going to end up happening, like, and I'm, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, I, I've won awards for audiobooks um, because Edward Ballerini has narrated them. You know, he's a specific narrator that you know people will buy audiobooks just because he's narrated yeah. them. You know, Scott Brick is another one. Like, he's a powerhouse yeah. when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, that being said, how long before a computer learns to be Scott Brick or learns to be Edward Ballerini or? you know, Neil Gaiman, you know, hmm. we, we've seen how quickly they, they adjust. I, I think the only thing that's missing at this point is, you know, those little slight inflections that come from emotion that come from a human actually reading it. Um, and, and somebody is working very hard pounding away on a keyboard right now to figure yeah. out how to, to work those things into that program. And, you know, it's just a matter of time, a couple of Red Bulls away and they're going to hit the right keystroke and it's going to happen. Well, I pushed some indies right to the right to the ledge uh, towards the end of the career author podcast when we talked a little bit about the future in AI, because I'm not I'm not overly optimistic about what that's going to mean for creators. Uh, it, you know, it's not going to kill art, but it, it, it certainly is going to transform art as we know it. And, and I think the way it relates to this conversation and, and J.D., I think this is a, gr a great question for you is, you know, as a with your trad deals, you, you are, you're looking to hit a home run with the mainstream. I mean, that's, that's sort of your strategy, right? You want to write thrillers. You want to write stories that appeal to a wide range of people. Is it possible that we are at the beginning of the end of what's quote unquote the mainstream? I, I think so. And it comes back to the AI stuff. And, it, and it's funny because like when I w wrote Dracul, um, you know, a lot of that book came from Bram Stoker's actual notes. So I had to blend his voice with my own voice. And, you know, I happen to be autistic. I've got a Asperger's, which is a form of autism. And one of the things that allows me to do is to, to mimic other people's voices. Um, you know, so like when I wrote that book, I listened to the audio book for Dracul. Uh, for Dracula and a couple of Bram's other ones just on a constant repeat just to get his cadence and his vocabulary and things like that into my head um, to the point where, you know, when the book went to the editor, um, Putnam actually hired somebody uh, who had a, a doctorate in um, Frankenstein. Um, and you know, like he went through the book and he, he edited it and I got it back and like, I was screaming because you know, like there's, there's an 80 year time difference between Frankenstein and when Dracula was actually written. Um, you know, like in Mary Shelley's day, they didn't use contractions. You know, there was tons of words, like he replaced the word between with the word betwixt, um, which is a word that Bram has never used. You know, like I, I knew Bram's vocabulary as, as well as he did probably better because I made a conscious effort to understand that. Um, you know, so in the end, like it, you know, like. I know I could, you know, there, there's computer programs where I could take Dracul and I could run it through a, a, you know, this program and it would tell me whether Dracul has any words in it that Bram didn't use in Dracula. Like it could compare the two. Um, that's something that I actually did in my head, um, which obviously isn't normal, but I, I think it's just a matter of time before computers are at the point where they can do that, where you can take all of Bram's catalog and dump it into the, the, a computer and it's going to be able to start putting coherent sentences together. It, it'll understand, you know, It'll understand the cadence, the, the sentence structure itself, that storyteller gene is going to be the only thing that's actually missing, that little spark of you know originality that comes from the human brain that a computer at this point isn't capable of doing. Um, but I, I think you can, 
guarantee, you know, like, you know, certain authors, you know, like Stephen King's in his seventies, James Patterson's in his seventies, you know, they've all got these big catalogs behind them. At some point, somebody's going to try and figure out how to take that text, put it into a computer and create a book that mimics that voice, um, you know, long after they're gone. And, you know, that brings up so many issues with copyright and so many other things too. Um, but I, that, that's where we're heading because it's, you know, it, everything always comes down to money. You know, like at, at some point, if you can get a computer to do this, you're going to be able to produce a book in, in probably minutes or milliseconds um, for, you know, pennies, you know, versus the, the cost and the time and everything involved in doing it now. And when you can do something on the cheap, that that's when, you know, everybody's focus, you know, jumps on it like a laser. So, yeah. you know, you know, somebody out there right now is working on a George R. R. Martin algorithm. To just Hopefully like it's feed him. his notes through to finish <laughs> that book series when he's gone. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. He could I, be the I, first I, big one. But I think what you said too is a lot of what worries me. And it's there's nothing you can do about it. But it's just like you know. I, I, but uh, you're gonna see like anyone's gonna be able to make an audio book because you're gonna be able to just feed your manuscript into a program and spit a voice out, and that just that scares me a little bit. Like, I just don't know if that's, especially someone who's an audiobook consumer, you know, like there's, it's just, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a and we've seen it happen with Kindle. Like anyone can publish a Kindle book, but it just, that hasn't made that into audiobooks yet, but that, this is going to change that. Well, Jay and I have talked, talked about this cause I, I had an idea a while ago because, you know, obviously books don't go out of print anymore. Um, so audiobooks aren't going to go out of print. None of this this stuff will. So at at some point, you know, like Amazon could technically expand forever, or the ebook market could expand forever. But are are they going to let it? Like I'm wondering if somebody at some point is going to create some kind of you know system, some kind of barrier, so books that you know have sales numbers below whatever drop off the system, or books that have ratings below whatever drop off the system. Um, something along those lines. I'd, I'd honestly love to see that happen to get rid of some of this riffraff that that does get out there. Um, you know, there, there's publishers right now or, or people that are just taking books and using computers and AI to do translations and then just slapping those up on the foreign systems, which is cluttering them up even, you know, just as bad. It just it gums up everything and makes it more difficult to actually find a good story. Uh, so at, at some point, I think this the store you know, is just going to get to the point where they have to find some way to, to let the cream of the crop rise to the top and, and kind of shuffle the rest into a little back room somewhere where it can get forgotten. I kind of think that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't agree with Joanna in her uh, optimistic outlook for AI and what it means for the future, but I totally agree in, in how she's preparing for it, which is doubling down on being human. And, and like, I, I think what that means for us is, you know, if, if an AI, if you can, if you can throw a word document into a into an, an app and it converts it into a, an audio book, then you, as the author or the creator, you need to have something distinct and unique about you. Whether that's your platform, whether that's your email list, whether that's a merchandise line, something like I, I think there's got to be something. And I think now is the time to start thinking about that. Like, what is it about you and the stories you tell and the platform you've built that can't be easily replicated by an AI or an algorithm? Go ahead, JD. Oh, I was just—I'm just doubling down on the writing because that's all I can really control. You know, like the stories that are coming out of me—that—that's 100% me. It's—it's it's my brain. This, you know, my spark. Um, you know, I, I don't know where a lot of these things are going to go, but you know, th that being said, I try a lot of new things. You know, I'm looking at new advertising venues that that nobody else is doing yet. Um, I've got a company in New York that's working on an augmented reality game based on one of my books. Um, you know, think things along those lines. You know, just try try something different. It's either going to work or it's not. But if if you don't try, you're never going to know. And and that's where some of these additional revenue you know streams come from. 
you know, something you know, like an augmented reality game, like I've got no clue where that's going to go. It, it could turn into something huge. It could, or, or it could fizzle and die, but you know, I'm always going to try those kind of things. Yeah. And I mean, along the line, what Jay was saying too, I, uh, you know, I have a, a new series that I'm kind of planning in the early stages. It's going to be a while before I write it, but I'm thinking about things that I haven't done a good enough job thinking about before. I'm thinking about like merchandising and stuff like what, what kind of, uh, you know, for anything from t-shirts to like action figures, like, cause you know, I'm, I'm going to plan for like success and hope that I can sell this series could be enough to where I could do some and offer those types of things and have other revenue, you know, revenue streams and stuff come out of it. And I'm just being more conscious about that stuff as I'm playing this series and, 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 and thinking in that way. You well, know. as a creator, you you have to. I mean, if, yeah. if if anybody goes to Thriller Fest, pull David Morell aside and and ask him about merchandising for Rambo, um, because he obviously, when he wrote First Blood, had no clue where that was going to go. You know, it took them ten years to make the movie after the book came out, um, but that obviously turned into this huge thing, and and a lot of people made a lot of money off of it. Other than him, I mean, he d- he did great as far as the book goes, but you know, there were action figures, there were planes, there were you know everything that they could possibly tie in. Um, I think George Lucas actually kept the merchandising rights for Star Wars, right? And that probably paid for that giant ranch of his out there. I believe um, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there, there's obviously different mindsets going on, but you, you have to be cognizant of that at the very beginning. And, and contracts are, are you know, we, we just had an attorney on. And, um, you know, it's so important to get somebody who understands what they're looking at to go through your contracts because these are the kind of things that vanish in those. You know, the, the publishers, the film companies, all these people, they, they know how to, you know, they, they, they're obviously working on a regular basis to try and get these rights. And they will squeeze them into these little tiny little nooks and crannies of a 300-page contract where they could easily get overlooked and you need somebody who can find them. Uh, a lot of times the wording is so ambiguous. You know, they're not going to say action figures. They're going to say something else that, you know, you may gloss completely over and not even realize that it, it could be part of that um, you know those are the types of things you really have to look for because you know everybody is trying to you know to, to make that buck yeah well I, I think uh, you know as we as we kind of pull the the conversation to a close here maybe we could each give uh, you know our, our one or two sentence prediction for something in 2021 uh, that we think is going to happen or not happen um, just off the cuff and kind of kind of see what we come up with zach you want to go first mailing lists are going away <laughs> um you know i'm 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 really interested to see um just overall where things go with social media and engagement there um that's just that's a subject that really interests me um you know, Jay, Jay and I have had a lot of talks about this off air and on the career author. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested to see, you know, cause I think a lot of things are, are coming to the light. You know, you're seeing, um, documentaries on Netflix now called, you know, like the social dilemma that are bringing a lot of the issues to light. And I think people, I'm, I'm hoping that more people are going to start to realize, uh, kind of stop and ask like, okay, we've just accepted all this as just like part of our life now, but is this really healthy for us to be spending as much time on these platforms and all this stuff they're doing, you know, the, 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 uh, all the ties back to mental health and all this stuff. And, you know, you can see all the misinformation being spread around and, um, and obviously like that's not directly on the industry, but you know, there's a lot of authors who do all their engagement through social media. You know, you were talking about Facebook ads, um, all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of wonder what, 
Um, cause, cause I, I really do think, I don't think it's gonna be like a mass exodus from social media, but I do think a lot more people are going to get smart and start to kind of question their relationship with these platforms and just with their digital devices overall. I, I hope to see that at least, and that people become a little bit more intentional, how they use a, use those services as opposed to just, this is the way it is now. Everyone's on Facebook. So I have to be spending my time on here. So I'd be kind of interested to see what, if we see any type of shift in that this year. Interesting. What about you, JD? What's, what's on, what's on your mind for 2021? <sighs> Honestly, I'm just going, I, I, I want to be able to take my daughter to Disney world and not have to wear a mask. <laughs> you know, she's, she's three right now. She's only going to be three once. Like, you know, there's a magical age, I think for that, that sort of thing. And I just, I'm really hoping that we get to the point where, where that's going to happen. Um, that being said, I think, you know, from an industry standpoint, I think we're going to just keep seeing these lines get more and more blurry, you know, random house buying Simon and Schuster. That's, you know, obviously taking a big chunk out of the, the traditional publishing market. Um, you know, I, I saw a tweet not too long ago from David Morell again, where he mentioned back in, um, I guess the eighties or so there were 40 or 50 publishers in New York, you know, now there's going to be three, well, three big ones anyway. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to be out of work because of that. A lot of, you know, mid-list authors are going to get pushed off of the, the curb as they focus more on the, the big revenue new makers. Um, all those kind of things scare me. You know, like I, I, I love what the traditional publishers can do for my books, but that being said, I've had editors that have gotten laid off and, you know, replaced midstream, you know, like before a book comes out. Um, I've had marketing people come and go while, you know, in the middle of a marketing campaign, you know, those, those kind of things are, are very stressful and I don't have a lot of those headaches if I'm doing it all on my own. Um, the flip side of that is I'm doing it all on my own. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I, 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 you know, every day I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that, you know, if, if I, I don't get a deal out of a particular publisher that I would like, I can pull the trigger on it myself and I can still get the book out there and I can do it just as well as they can. And I'm going to continue to improve my game when it comes to that. Yep. Uh, I would, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that 2021 is the end of pay-per-click advertising as we know it. And I, I not just for this industry, but in, in general, I think, we're coming to an intersection of time where people are uh, not as responsive to pay-per-click advertising, where big budgets and corporations can box out smaller competitors. And I think all of that is going to coalesce into a situation where um, you, you know, you're not going to get the same results that you did in the past. Uh, the, that, that gold rush of that PPC gold rush is over in 2021. So what's next? <laughs> if I knew that, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> so, something, something will step in and replace it. We yeah. just don't know what it is yet. Yep, for sure. Hey, it's don't a, freak out too much about not being able to take your uh, daughter to Disney World yet. I'll just throw that out there too. <laughs> we took ours at we took ours at three, and it was great. And but like, I feel like it'd be much better to take her now at six. She'd remember a lot more. Yeah. So don't 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 be in too big of a rush. You'll be all right. All right. Hey, JD, just put it up on your big screen television and tell her she's there. She'll never know the difference. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure she will. <laughs> she would definitely know the difference. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're still trying to keep her out of that home theater because I think once she figures out she can watch her cartoons on a you know a screen that's 14 feet wide, <laughs> it's, it's game over. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, uh, we, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you want to tell us in the comments uh, at uh, writersinkpodcast.com, what your biggest challenge in 2020 was, or if you have a bold prediction for 2021, let us know. We'd like to check it out. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with Jeff talking about uh, Thriller Fest, the Winter Fest. Um, that winter, winter thrills. I got that right, right, JD? Yeah, winter thrills. Winter thrills. I had to, <laughs> I had to talk around it a few times until I landed on it. Yeah, that's going to be next week. And uh, if you're interested in becoming a patron, head on over to patreon.com 
slash Writers Inc. podcast and uh, support us there. And if you really like the show, just tell a friend about it. And uh, that'll wrap it up for 2020. So um, we'll see you guys and all the rest of you in 2021. See y'all next year. All right. Have a good holiday, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.